Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along with co-hosts Andy Dolich and Pat Gallagher. And we've got a guest in Michael Lynch today. Um, little did I know he's Marshawn's brother. Uh, just kidding. Um, but he does love he does love his... Uh... Michael, what's, the, what's your favorite color of Skittles? What do we got? Favorite color? It's got to be green. Come on, I'm, I'm Irish. Green Skittles. Here. But, green Skittles. But I, I, I will take uh, Marshawn as my brother any day of the week. <laughs> so with with the green Skittles, I'm going to throw it to Pat to introduce Michael and and their friendship. And we're going to dive into a little bit of global marketing uh, with Michael and, and his experiences in the sports industry. So Pat, take it away. So Michael O'Hara Lynch. Uh, you know, no question about his uh, heritage, but all kidding aside, he's a guest that we've always wanted to have on this podcast um, because because of, because of the breadth of his experience. I mean, I'll go through some of them, but I first met Michael when he was uh, running uh, global sponsorship for uh, for Visa, and there's probably nobody nobody on the globe who knows more about Olympic marketing than um, than Michael Lynch. Um, we got directly involved uh, when we were trying to build the ballpark in San Francisco, and and as a as the marketing guy for for uh, for Visa, uh, we were able to Michael and and his you know generosity, wisdom, and hard negotiating, you know, helped us build the ballpark. I'll I'll just lead it with this, Michael. We one of the things I remember about our about our negotiation to build the uh, Pacific Bell Park was, you know, after we'd gotten all the business things out of the way. We had a, a thing that you called the wallet check, which I'd never heard before. And what that was is that we're all sitting in a room and we had to empty out our wallets. Uh, and you wanted to make sure that none of us were carrying an American Express card, uh, which was pretty effective. <laughs> but Michael, I, I want to welcome you to the podcast. And uh, I think that you have moved moved on to uh, spend a lot of time at Nielsen you can bring us up to date uh, later on on uh, Three Emerald Marketing, which is the agency that you and Evan Green are, have, have started and some of the things that you're working on now. But you truly are a global sports marketing guy. And um, so, so Patrick, let, let, let me interrupt you for a second before you go there, because you're introducing me by bringing up one of the biggest mistakes in my, in my career. Oh, come, come on. I, I was given the opportunity, you know, on Visa's behalf to be the naming rights sponsor of, you know, Oracle Park, um, you know, at, at the early onset of the stadium. And That's I, true. And I stupidly turned it down. So it was one of the single biggest mistakes of my career was, was not having that ballpark be called the Visa venue. Um, and so, you know, I can't believe you're introducing me by a mistake well, that I made nah. in, my, in my career, Patrick. We, 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 no, we've all made mistakes. We <laughs> look, we managed, even though you, you you decided not to do it, we managed to get the ballpark built anyway. So, uh, and, and and Visa was a proud sponsor from day one, and have been, ever been since. So, uh, and uh, you know, they have loved the affiliation with the Giants, and we have we have you to thank for that. So, thank you, Patrick. It was great fun. Well, thank you. It was great fun. And, uh, and so, but, you know, with the Olympics, you know, you're, you know, first of all, let, let's talk about it a little bit. How many Olympics have you been involved in? Well, I physically worked on uh, at least 11 Olympic games. 
over, mm-hmm. the, over the course of my career. So, uh, and I continue to work on them uh, to this day and, and I'm uh, working on ones that, are, you know, aren't even in existence just yet uh, for 2030 and potentially 2034. Wow. I'm thinking to my initial introduction uh, to Mr. Lynch, I started working for the A's in December of 1980. And of course, it was one of the first calls that I'd make because you have to kiss the ring of visa when you got to the Bay Area in Foster City. And I was amazed um, in that I made the call, got through to Michael's executive assistant, And the person said, yes, Mr. Lynch can see you on January 11th. And I went to myself, impossible. What are you kidding me? January 11th, 1983. Um, So that was three years into the future. I figured, (laughs) well, he's probably not going to have a lot of great interest in the A's. And as Pat was talking and Michael admitting to blowing one of the greatest opportunities in stadium naming rights, maybe in history, I was thinking about another small company called Bank of America. Pat, didn't they blow it too? But well, with, the, a guy, with a guy that will, will remain nameless, but not quite. No, as I, I won't. I won't. Listen, I'll give you his initials. His initials were Michael Rossi. Um, And he was the, uh, I guess, vice chairman. And look, you make decisions. First of all, privately financing a ballpark was, you know, a pretty risky proposition. So I can't I can't blame anybody for doubting whether we could actually do it. But um, but we sort of figured that the hometown bank would help us finance the the ballpark. And they passed on that. Um, We wound up going to New York to put a, a syndicate, a, a Chase, actually a, a syndicate headed by Chase. And, um, but to Bank of America's credit, eventually when we got the thing off the ground, they came back to us and wanted to be one of our sponsors. So uh, they, they weren't there at the beginning, but, but once they were assured that we were actually going to be able to build the thing, uh, they did come back. So, yeah. and I was I was really happy because Michael Rossi was sitting in Jed York's office when I got canned. So <laughs> I'll always remember Michael Rossi and his convertible freaking Rolls Royce. But as we move on, um, uh, Michael, you have Pat and I and Jake uh, have been local, and you've seen the world change in so many different ways and you've mentioned 11 olympics but if you could speak for a moment about the length and breadth of what you've seen on behalf of visa and other properties as the world uh becomes smaller through sports and entertainment and what maybe you were most proud of in all the years of visa being a major player on the world stage Wow, that's an open-ended question uh, there, uh, Andy. But uh, let me let me try it. Um, and I think you know what's going on in the world today with our pandemic is really teaching us all a lesson, and that is, you know, how interconnected we all are uh, with one another and, and dependent, you know, on on each other for our livelihood. Um, not just, you know, in our Northern California area or our country, but, but really, truly on a, on a global basis. 
Um, and you're right. I've had the pleasure of working on two, actually three marquee global properties, um, the Olympic Games, the FIFA World Cup, uh, Rugby World Cup, um, uh, which, you know, Visa was a sponsor of each of the, those properties. But, you know, the beauty of sports is that it brings the world together in peace and harmony. Um, and there's nothing like it, you know, when wars are stopped because, you know, games are, are going on and, um, you know, people are just coming together for, for friendly competition. Um, and, and that's really the true unifying force of what sports are around the world. Uh, but it's also taught us how small our world really is and how dependent we are on one another. Well said, uh, because I look at uh, two uh, playing uh, objects that I'm looking at right now. One is a soccer ball. The other is a basketball. And both are uh, world globes. They're mm-hmm. showing every country in the world. And you look at how the world has sort of shrunk to those sports and exploded around the world from American basketball and soccer back here. Um as you're hearing from colleagues around the world that are dealing with the same challenges that we have here and you're seeing what EPL might be doing or somebody in South America and Asia, what, is there anything that's vastly different that's happening in other parts of the world as it relates to spectator sports vis-a-vis what we're doing here, trying to separate percentages of live fans and venues to cardboard cutouts and bubbles? Absolutely not. Um, and that's, again, the unifying force of, of sports and that, you know, what what they are experiencing in other parts of the world, you know, we're experiencing here today. And the solutions that they're seeking are solutions that we're seeking. And so that's where we need to share with each other. We need to learn from uh, each other. You know, what's, you know, everybody's looking at one another to see you know, what worked with the Bundesliga? Um, you know, what's working, you know, with, you know, Major League Lacrosse or the National Women's, you know, Soccer League? Um, you know, let's learn from, you know, these uh, models that are, that are being built so that we can get better and better at ensuring the, safe, the health and safety of all the individuals that are, that are involved. Michael, when you think about the, the perspectives and you know, one thing that comes to mind is you just don't know what you don't know, right? I'll I'll give you an example in that I've been to Mexico and Israel. Those are my international travels. Uh, I've been all over the United States, but from an international perspective and understanding sports outside, um, you know, you see stuff on on the digital media or or social media or um, you hear through other friends, but until you really experience it in person, you don't understand would be my guess. Um, can you talk a little bit about the perspectives you need uh, as you do travel outside, you know, especially whether, whether work or not, um, you know, what perspectives have helped you with, with what you do from a day-to-day basis? Great question, Jake. Um, and, and what I think it is, is having an open mind and an open heart. Um, there is so much to learn, you know, from other cultures uh, from other human beings, uh, whether it's here or, or abroad. And I, I think one of the, the reasons I think I was reasonably successful 
um, in my career is that it, it wasn't, you know, our way or the highway. And, and, you know, okay, America may be more advanced than some other countries, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's any better than those other countries or our ways are, are better than those other countries. And so, you know, the key is to just, you know, being able to listen, being able to learn and then adapt, adapt to their cultures and, and take, you know, the good that's coming from, you know, others around the world and applying that to, you know, either the United States or, or our business, you know, here, here at home. Um, and again, what I found is that people, people are no different around the world. Um, you know, they, 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 everyone wants to, you know, treat one another, you know, fairly and honestly and sincerely. And as long as you're, you're treating people with that sort of respect um, and not being a know-it-all, um, you know, you can go a long way, you know, uh, anywhere you are in the, in the world. From a, you, you know, think- I'll just say one positive, one positive, I guess, you know, if you're a glass half full person is that, you know, around the world, we've all, uh, if you're in this, in this business, we've all had a big dose of humility, uh, which, you know, it, 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 it's difficult to na- navigate sometimes from a business perspective. I mean, I, you know, the force majeure contract in every agreement is, is sort of being scrutinized now for, for the future. But, but I think the, the sort of the, the, the humility part of it, I think, is, is good. And, and to your point, Michael, is that, you know, treating people with respect, being willing to listen, being willing to adjust based on um, on the needs and the wants that you have, uh, you know, a client in the United States versus versus a client in Europe or in the Far East, um, you know, those are things that you have to, you know, you have to be be ready to 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 handle. Hundred percent, yeah. And it's not just the humility, and it's the humanity piece of it too, right? Um, yeah. That really gets to, you know, treating people equitably, you know, regardless of you know, race, religion, sexual orientation, you name it. You, you've got to treat people as, as equals um, no, matter, no matter where you are in the world. We have a number of listeners who are, even in perfect times, trying to navigate uh, their careers in the business of sports and entertainment or entertainment and sports. As you were working through the system, Michael, as in a younger age, Give us a snapshot of where you were and kind of what were the aha moments to said, this is where I sort of want to spend the rest of my life because I love it. Um, you know, when I started out, um, I didn't even know that this field existed um, early on in my career. Um, and then I was an in-house consultant for a company called Timex Corporation. Um, and we had hired from uh, what was then IMG uh, two athletes to promote a triathlon watch. Um, and therein I learned that if I could combine, you know, my marketing passion with, with a sports passion, what a wonderful way to spend a career. And, and once I saw that, that was an aha moment for me. I was you know, just set on doing everything I can to try to uh, pay my dues uh, to see if I could break in, into 
into the field. And fortunately, I, I did go to graduate school and um, was lucky enough to secure a position with what was then the number two sports management marketing company in the world, a company called ProServe that represented a couple hundred professional athletes and put on uh, sport events around, around the, the world. great Donald Dell, right? Donald Dell, yes. I was yes. communicating with him just the other day. So, uh, yes, he, he founded the company uh, representing a number of tennis players around the same time that Mark McCormick founded IMG, representing a bunch of golf players. And so um, that was where, you know, I got my, was lucky enough to get my start, start in the business way back when. Michael, when you think about your journey through your path that you took, you know, the winds and the curves, and, you know, you got even into the World Surf League, which we'll touch on in a second of, just the different opportunities that present themselves. How do you go about, and, and for those listening, thinking, well, you know, I've got a great gig, what I'm doing now, um, but how do I know when it's time for something different? Or, or if you see an opportunity or get approached by, you know, about an opportunity, how do you know when it's time to jump, right? And, and I think that's something that often people deal with uh, over the years, right? But you stayed at Visa for 17 plus years. So, how, you know, you were, you were able to move up within the company. Um, talk a little bit about the perspectives that you had and, and that you've learned about. Sure. Um, but let me, let me first go back to, you know, Andy's question for a second, because there was something else I wanted to share. And that was that one of the things I learned early on in my career was that all things being equal, you do business with friends, all things not being equal, you still do business with friends. And, and the reason why I say that is relationship building, you know, is just so critically important, I think, to any, anyone's career, especially in the business world. Um, you know, we have, our, we have our word and our reputation, and you need to stand by both. And so, you know, you know treat people with respect, build those relationships, and then, you know, be true to yourself in terms of your word and, and your reputation from that standpoint. Um, now, as it relates to, you know, staying at a company for 17 years, um, from day one, I had the very best job at Visa in the world. Um, to have the opportunity, you know, to work on, you know, the National Football League, horse racing's Triple Crown, the Olympic Games, you know, Rugby World Cup, FIFA World Cup, um, you know, et cetera, to be able to um, negotiate deals with the likes of Patrick Gallagher, uh, as well as, you know, 49er deals with, you know, Andy Dolich. I mean, you know, for me, you know, who was a sports fan and a marketer, you know, I had the very best job in the world. And the fact that I had global reach and was responsible for, you know, all of the investments that we were making on a global basis, um, you know, there was, there was no better, you know, position within the company, certainly, uh, and arguably maybe around the world at other companies to be at. So I was so fortunate to be in that role, given the way that Visa built its brand and its business largely on the backs of properties like, like the Olympic Games. And so the reason I stepped down, Jake, though, after 17 years was um, it was a global job. And which meant that I was working on at least three Olympic games at any one point in time and two World Cups. And so, 
Um, it meant traveling the world over. And, you know, my priority kind of shifted there and said, wait a second, you know, my teenage daughters are playing high school sports. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, I need to be at that tennis court or in that gym watching the basketball game or on the track, you know, watching my daughter, daughter compete. And so, so that's what prompted me to step down and, you know, to pursue other opportunities at the time that allowed me to be, you know, a better, you know, father and be at home with, you know, my wife and kids. And I'm glad he brought that up. Michael brought that up because uh, you have three uh, individuals on this call in which family is first, always has been, always will be. And it's easy in this cosmetic industry to forget about that. And I could only imagine if Pat and Michael and Andy, you know, created a list of men and women who crashed and burned because they believed that the logo on their business card, right? This is LOL, loss of logo, yep. was much more important. And it never is. You might think it is, but the strength of the family, and then Michael also talked about another key, which seems so trite, and we've said it many times, you can never have too big a network, ever. And you think about Lynch, who up, you know, through those 17 years, and Pat, how many years at the Giants? 73? 32. A, a minuscule 32 years. Their networks were platinum-coated, yet both of them, um, and you, Jake, and me, you keep building your networks because it's never it's never enough. And who knows who you're going to meet well, uh, in the next it, conversation. It, it's, I, I'd say I'll put it this way is that, you know, you go through a long career and sometimes, you know, you spend sometimes as the hammer and sometimes as the nail. You know, you'd, you'd like to be the hammer more often than you're the nail. And believe me, I've spent time as both. But I think to Michael's point is that, if if you're sort of true to yourself and you're and and you're sort of you value relationships uh, more than you do properties or all those things, I think overall you'll you'll do better. You know, Michael got a chance to see his daughter's games. You know, I I did the same thing. Got a chance to see my son and daughter's uh, games. And um, you know, as you as you look back on some of the things that you did. You know, you have good things and bad things, but the family things are, are things you, you'll never get back. So, Michael, uh, totally understand why you did it. I think we all had to make similar decisions. And, uh, you know, and fortunately for me, I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't a global marketing guy. I was a local marketing guy. So I got a chance to be at those games and still stayed at a place for quite a while. So, um, so Michael, t tell us a little bit about um, about what you're what you're doing now with Three Emerald, uh, the Three Emerald Agency, Three Emerald Marketing, what's what's? Why did you decide to do that now, and what are you what are you guys doing? Well, you know, in stepping down from Visa, it just opened up a world of opportunities uh, for me, and I was fortunate enough to help launch uh, what was then called the Association of Surfing Professionals, now known as the World Surf League, and get that off the ground to build the structure and the the whole marketing and communications plan in and around that. Um, and then, and this is an important point, then I realized that as a consultant, you really need data to back up, 
you know, your experience and insights. And, and one of the keys to my success at these all those years is that we took a very analytical approach to measuring the effectiveness of sponsorships. And so having that data helped justify, you know, to our senior management, to our, to our uh, board of directors as to why investing in the sports sponsorship space made such a difference. And so to that end, when I stepped out on my own, I realized that, you know, hey, if I don't have the data, then will people truly believe what it is I have to say? And hopefully my reputation would stand on its own, but still at the end of the day, marketers need the analytics to justify investments. And so I spent, and I think everyone in this industry should spend some time making sure that they're investing in their analytical side of things just to, to justify the investments that are made here. But, but that's where I spent time it was what was then the leading uh, sports research and insights company, a company called Repucom, uh, which was private equity back. We sold, Nielsen acquired us. Um, and then I decided to step down from Nielsen to basically have my own business. And, and that's where I went into business with uh, Evan Green, who uh, essentially as the chief marketing officer ran the Grammy Awards for some 16 years and is arguably the foremost authority in the world on music marketing. And rumor has it I might know something about sports. And what we're doing is we're advising property rights holders uh, who care about, you know, raising incremental money. Uh, we advise brands that are investing in the sports, music and entertainment space and as to how they can get the most value out of their investments and what the right strategy is and what's the right property portfolio. And so we're advising organizations that's such you know, brands, uh, uh, rights holders, and we're also advising media companies um, that are looking to raise incremental, incremental revenues. Um, and then I've got also had the opportunity to do side projects. Uh, we just, you know, four of us co-produced over the last three years a film called Weight of Gold that debuted on HBO this past week. And so having the ability to do the projects that you want to work on and I, I always felt like there's three things I want. I want to be able to, you know, work with good people and people that I love. I want to be able to make a difference, you know, in society. Um, and I want to have fun. And, and things like, you know, the weight of gold that we launched last week with HBO, you know, we think is going to make a, a world of difference uh, addressing mental health in the, in the sports, not only in the sports community, but hopefully, you know, our, our, our world overall. Michael, co-producing a film obviously is a, is a pretty easy thing to do, I don't imagine. So, you know, from your experience, um, you know, what, was the, what was the biggest thing that you learned going through something that you'd you know, never done before? And uh, obviously I was joking about the easy, easy piece. <laughs> well, three, three of us, three of the four of us had never produced a film before. Um, uh, but, you know, one of those three was Michael Phelps. Um, and Michael Phelps has got, you know, just a tremendous voice, uh, a passion for mental health and a dedication of his life to, you know, helping save other other people. Because at one point in time, um, you know, he was contemplating suicide after he was, you know, done swimming and his whole, whole identity was tied up in a, a swimming pool. Um, and once he was over as a swimmer. You know, he didn't have the self-love and self-confidence uh, 
that he should have should have otherwise had as the most decorated Olympian of, of, all, of all time. And so having his voice, um, it was still really, really hard work, um, you know, over the last three years. And but but the, the mission of we didn't really set out to make a film. We set out to get Michael's message out uh, into the world um, and to affect change and to remove as much of the stigma as we possibly could about mental health ailments and ultimately to, you know, the one objective was we want to, we want to save lives. Um, in the, in the outreach we've seen since the film debuted last week, it's amazing how many athletes have raised their hand and said, you know, Hey, I was suffering too. And this film means I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm not alone and that it's making, you know, a world of difference for me as well. So. Yeah. Pat mentioned early on that there will be good coming out of the social distress we find ourselves in and the viral pandemic. And I was thinking about uh, what you were talking about with Michael Phelps and you have Megan Rapino, you have Colin Kaepernick, you have, thousands of professional athletes now speaking out on all it used to be pat you remember like oh sports politics no no nobody talks uh we're just gonna stay here in our little lane of sports and to me one of the great positives is sports has always been so cosmetic i mean you think about michael phelps how could he have a problem he's the greatest swimmer in the history of the world well everybody is just a person as michael said And now these circumstances give everyone an opportunity to take a step back and realize that the greatest athletes in the world or anybody that supports them, um, they can be subject to the same circumstances that everybody's going through on Main Street in their town. That's a that's a you know, that's something that maybe early in our careers, you know, we might not have been as sensitive to as we are now. And it's, I get, it's, it is one of the ways the world's changing because, you know, the, 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 you know, the politics, the politics of living, you know, sports, uh, social justice and, um, and healthy living. I mean, the, the, the lines that maybe were not crossed over before now, all these things are intersecting and, you know, a, a guy like Michael Phelps, for him to be able to, to have the humility, um, it, you know, I, I, it's just fascinating. The humility to be able to sort of admit what, you know, a lot of people thought was a weakness. And what he's coming out with is to show why in his character, it's a real yeah, strength. The, the key question that, you know, we, we talk to our clients about, but, but I think all of us should ask is of ourselves, but, you know, what is it that you stand for? And, and the great news, Andy, to your point, and, and Patrick, is that athletes have their voices and they're, they're now, you know, permitted and encouraged to, to speak up for what they, what they believe in. Um, and, you know, the same holds true for the property rights holders. So, you know, what is it that the Giants stand for today and how are they making, you know, this community a better community? And, and I, I know, Patrick, you were always big in terms of community development there and the, you know, the foundation and all the efforts that were there. And Andy, you were the same with your career, but it's becoming increasingly more important for the rights holders 
to also make a difference on people's lives and in society. And then thirdly, it's the companies themselves. Historically, the companies never wanted to get involved in the political side of things or to use their voice or take a stand. That has changed dramatically now. And purpose marketing and social good have become mainstream marketing within the corporate communities. And they are standing up and saying, enough's enough. We have to change, make change here. And we have, we have the money, we have the people, we have the resources to make a difference in society. Mike, will you bring up a- And you also have the, have the eyeballs too, and, and the following and the emotional following to, to do that. So that's a, Michael, that's, a, that's a, a big strength that, you know, not necessarily packaged goods companies and other marketers have. That's one of the great things that sports delivers is the passion and, the, and sort of the, the humanity um, of, uh, of human competition. And I would just add, you just think about all of the capabilities that people have that now can be exposed to the world, that you're not just that athlete, that you're more than that. And you can, and you can create long-term good. Michael, I don't know how many like half court check presentations or on field um, notifications or adulation you've gotten over the years, but it's a lot. And now, you know, to Pat's point in this uh, fundraiser for the Disney family, that's long term strategy for young people to develop a skill that they can use for the rest of your life, for the rest of their lives or what you've done with the documentary film that affects people, not just for next Tuesday, but for months and years ahead. And that's the change that we're seeing now throughout sports and entertainment, not just, Hey, it's a one shot deal here. Let's write a check, but let's change the world through sports and entertainment. And sports and entertainment has the power to do that. If harnessed proper, if properly. Yes, sir. I got one question as we start to wrap up this episode in that, you know, you mentioned change with the athletes, um, but, you know, as great as our industry is, you know, Andy mentioned that the loss of logo concept that, you know, somewhere in this episode where um, do you see these types of perspectives and thoughts being transferred into those who work in the industry as well and, and any other industry, right? There's, it, it pertains to everyone, but at the same time, you know, you mentioned you got, you know, out of the travel business, right? Because of family. And I think that all plays a factor. Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, um, it's a great point. Um, I mean, we all have to uh, be examples um, for our organizations. Um, and again, you know, stand up for, for what we what we believe in. And so, yeah, this is not just about the athletes. It's everybody that works in this field you know, we're, we're blessed to be able to work in, in the industry that we work in. Uh, but how can we make a difference? Because it requires that leadership. And, and, you know, it used to be it had to come from the top, that leadership. But so much of the change that's being affected today is coming from every level of the organization, particularly with the, the whole digital and social transformations of, of every single organization and the acceleration on that front, you know, you see the junior people, uh, you know, just influencing change and being able to provide that voice out into society of, of things that are making a difference simply by a social post or whatever. 
but 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 I think everybody within the organization has the opportunity to make a difference in society, and and frankly, I would argue has 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 some responsibility given the fact that you know we're we're blessed to be able to work in in this industry. You know, and as I think about the the change that's coming, right? You know, Andy mentioned um, the good things to come, and and Pat as well. You've traveled quite a bit, and this is the last thing I'll I'll lead with. Um, travel's going to change. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a little bit different, right? It already is. Um, but if you could take your travel tips pre-COVID and repackage them into post-COVID travel tips. What do you think you got? Well, I've got 3 million miles on United alone. Um, that's just one of the carriers here. So, um, you know, my travel tip is, you know, for me, it was I tried to work out every single day um, and taking the time, you know, for your body and yourself, um, you know, which will help your mind. It will help your heart and help your ability to engage with people. So, you know, it's, it's maintaining, maintaining that health, um, you know, increasingly it's, you know, it's not just that your physical health, it's your mental health too, uh, because mental health challenges exist in all of us, exist in our families, our friends, our colleagues and the like. And so, you know, pay particular attention to that side of it as well. But, um, you know, that, that would be my big counsel is if you're going to, you know, travel that much, you know, um, take care of yourself in doing it yeah i would just say having just completed a 19 hour back and forth to uh portland oregon and pat and i have family in portland uh get a comfortable car that's what i would say make sure you get a comfortable automobile because unless you are uh the owner of a g7 um get used to long drives um, stretch out every once in a while. So true. Take a picture on the side of the road, right? Some find something yeah. on the side of the road, Andy. Uh, hey, you got it. Uh, I saw a lot of stuff between uh, the, the Silicon Valley and uh, Black Butte, Oregon, and it was all great. Hadn't seen it in a while. Pat, any last words as we as we sign off? Well, just make sure and wash your hands, I think, would be a, <laughs> what I would pass along. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you can if you can die from Purell poisoning, but I think I'm going to I'm going to be the test case. But uh, no, I, I just think and now, you you know, it, it was so we wanted to have Michael on for so long. And after listening to him now, you can understand why, um, you know, we all have learned a lot over our careers and and we, we've learned what the values are. And, uh, you know, Michael, the, the film that you just co-produced um, with, you know, with Michael Phelps, I mean, that is just one of the legacies, not only for him, but one of the legacies for you um, in this, you know, long career. And it's something that you should be proud of. And, you know, we were just really fortunate to have you on the on the podcast. And God, I hope we can do it again sometime. Uh, I really appreciate it, guys. And, you know, it, it it took a risk to be able to, you know, try something new and, and do it. And fortunately, we got, you know, very lucky. And, and, and I've been very fortunate to, to talk with the three of you 
Uh, I got to do one plug for Andy Dulwich because uh, corporate logos on NFL uniforms are, are common. <laughs> and, and Andy Dulwich was the first uh, to put a corporate logo, a Visa logo on a uh, 49er practice jersey. So uh, a shout out to him for and, revolutionizing and the industry. It, and it <laughs> underscores the value of friendship and networking that I might have had to make 600 calls to do that. But it was one call to Michael and say, look, I think we have a sliver of light here that we can do this on practice and preseason. And he went, let me think about it. Yeah, we can do that. I mean, it was literally around that long. And people went, whoa, what? And Michael got a heck of a lot of calls after that to do every other team. So there's a lot of follow the leader stuff in sports. But um, props to the Fighting Irish. May they go undefeated this year and hopefully they <laughs> play the whatever amount of games they're playing. And uh, it's always a pleasure. This will be the first of several times that Michael Lynch will be back on Life in the Front Office. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, guys.